Thanks for listening to the Tribe Church Podcast. Our prayer is that these episodes bless and equip you in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Our goal as a community is to become more like Jesus and to offer Him through our lives to those around us here in Austin, Texas. More like Jesus, more for others. For more on our church, check out atxtribe.org. God bless. All right, we're starting a new series, Reconstructing Faith, uh, which I think is a pretty cool idea and a pretty cool graphic. Uh, and we'll get into all of that in a second here. I'm going to unpack a lot of stuff today and not be able to unpack all of it. Uh, but I promise we'll get to a lot of it over the coming weeks. Okay? Um, but before that, to begin, Jesus of Nazareth, Matthew chapter 7. Verse 13. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small and is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree that bears good fruit, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit or bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus offers a way to reconstruct, a way to deconstruct, a way to construct your life based on his teachings. And Matthew takes up three chapters of his gospel on what has become the most famous hall of scripture in all of the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount. And it is literally Jesus' manifesto for life in the kingdom of heaven. 
In it, Jesus, a, a prophet and a teacher and a rabbi, and more than that, a Messiah to Israel, offers and invites and comes to his Jewish religious audience and offers what theologian Joel B. Green calls a conversion of their imagination. A new way to view the story that they live in, who they are, where they come from, and where they are going. He calls this conversion of imagination repentance. And he invites all who would listen to reconsider who they are and where they come from and where they're going and to enter into his kingdom of heaven embodied in the practice in community. Along the way, he would say things like, you've heard it was said, but I tell you. So you read through Matthew 5 through 7, and he's, he's constantly saying, you've heard it was said, but I tell you. In other words, this is the story that you've come to know, but let me broaden your horizon a bit. Let me help you reimagine what God is up to. A life-giving transformation. A story that you can live into that will reshape your humanity, a salvation. And he claims that if, if we're willing to practice, if we're willing to, to take these teachings that he says and put them into practice to follow this rarely few that find it, narrow path to life. They will build a life that can recognize truth, that can recognize true teachers and true disciples, that can withstand the trouble of a fallen world, the trouble of the enemy, the trouble of our flesh, that can help us weather the storms of life. In February of 2005, musician and songwriter Matis Yahoo recorded a live album here in Austin at Stubbs Barbecue. You guys ever been to Stubbs before? Great outdoor venue, and this beatboxing, bearded, Hasidic Jew in a black suit with a black hat that was backed by his reggae band. Uh, he wouldn't perform even on Fridays because of Sabbath. He took the music world by storm. His self-produced album debuted at number five on the Billboard reggae charts. And by January of the next year, it was number one. Sorry, it was number 30 on the Billboard 200. Number one on the reggae charts. The album went gold a month later. And he continued to climb the charts for, for most of 2006, landing at the number, one or number two spot of the year. Pretty impressive. And if you loved reggae music, uh, or you loved hip-hop music, or you just loved music, and you were a disciple of Jesus, you were listening. And many of you guys in that time remember, man, I'm listening. What is this? And you would hear songs like this, and it's a song called King Without a Crown, and, and this is what Matis Yahu would profess in his song. You, he's professing to God, you are all that I have. You are all that I need. Each and every day, I pray to get to know you, please. I want to be close to you. Yes, I'm, I'm so hungry. You're like water for my soul when it's thirsty. Without you, there's no me. You are the air 
that I breathe. Isn't that beautiful? This is a man who had constructed a very clear framework of his faith in God that displayed itself in his behavior and lifestyle, and he professed it boldly to the world around him through his craft. On December 13th in 2011, Montes Yahoo posted a beardless picture of himself on Twitter, explaining on his website, when I started to become religious 10 years ago, it was a very natural and organic process. It was my choice my journey to discover my roots and to explore my Jewish spirituality, not only through books, but through real life. At a certain point, I felt the need to submit to a higher level of religiosity, to move away from my intuition and to accept an ultimate truth. I felt that in order to become a good person, I needed rules, lots of them or else I would somehow fall apart. I am reclaiming myself, trusting my goodness and my divine mission. He goes from, you are all that I need. You are the, the breath that I breathe. There's no you, there's no me without you, I, to I am reclaiming myself. I trust in my goodness and in my divine mission. And look, I, I don't know Matis Yahoo, maybe some of you do here, I don't know. But what I gather from his statement is the quintessential framework of what has become an expressive individualism of our culture. And it permeates the world that we live in. And it's a story that says, freedom is, is not actually found in submission to a higher being. No, no, freedom is found in the removal of restrictions and the boundaries that have been handed down to me. Ultimate truth isn't real. It's for a less mature version of myself. What's real is relative to me. Personal intuition is truth. I need to follow that. What you feel is real. Goodness and divinity is found within the individual, not outside of them. Now, I'm, look, I'm, again, I'm not throwing stones at Modest Yahoo. I, don't, I have no idea where he is at in his spiritual journey, and I respect that we're all on one. So this is not a critique, but it's more of an all-too-familiar illustration. For what I've seen happen many times in the lives of people that we love, that we've walked with, they have outgrown their faith. They've outgrown the church. They've outgrown the restrictions of scripture. They've moved on from God or the, the Bible or from Jesus. And they go on to deconstruct what they know to be true into more of a spiritual relativism. You do you, find your truth. Hey, the authentic you is inside. You just have to free yourself enough to find it. Are you picking up what I'm putting down here? Hey, hey, free yourself from any burden to hierarchy or responsibility to anyone above you, including God. Divinity is within you. 
why? You go, why, why, are, we, why are we talking about this? Why, why are we taking this lens of, of individual expressivism? Why, why are we taking this direction with a, a conversation on reconstruction? Because fundamentally, what we do when we deconstruct and we reconstruct has everything to do with who we think we are as human beings. And we live in a culture that has come to believe we are individualists. Philosopher Charles Taylor describes it this way. I've got a slide here for you. This human identity of individualism is one of autonomy, of self-sufficiency, of self-determination, and self-legislation. And he traces this individualism from Augustine to Descartes to Kant to the present. And it's influenced a worldview that itself is a declaration of independence from all things higher than self. One where identity and meaning are grasped through self-referential terms. I am who I am. And my desires are what make me authentically me. Why do I bring this up? Because it serves as the backdrop for why we are in a cultural moment of deconstruction why it's happening like never before on a mass scale in every corner of our culture. Because unlike most of history, so many lives now are living under the story that humanity, your humanity is an autonomous one. One that is centered in the mind. You're kind of a brain on sticks, right? You control based on your will and your intuition, and your intellect, you self-determine, you make what you are to be as a human. And so justifying your, your, your existence, it's up to you to do so. Your rights, and your privileges, and your goodness, and your truth, it's all based on your interpretation. The best way for you to live your humanity is ultimately your responsibility. Because you ultimately belong to no one other than yourself. Are you with me right there? And the result of this self-belonging, the result of this self-determining, self-legislating, autonomous, self-will kind of person is crippling anxiety that's permeating our culture because we're not built to do this. It's not the story that God teaches of who we are, where we come from, and where we are going. And in that anxiety, in that inability to reconcile what I'm feeling inside with the world outside of me, we just try to change the world outside of us to make me feel better inside. And so we, we tear down, we deconstruct the education system or the government or the church to try to gain some sense of absolute truth on which to stand and to build our identity, but we ultimately can't. Why? Because just like you, everyone else has got their own truth, and so it's all relative. Talk about anxiety-inducing. And it just creates this chaos in society that you and I are witnessing. It turns the outside into the inside. 
this individualism ends up being a false one. Because everyone ultimately, we're trying to, to manage these things by changing out what's outside of us and and, and, and for enacting our will on the world around us and getting the world to bend to us. And what happens is that we can't do it, and so we just grab a hold of something that's marketed to us that makes it look like it'll do it for us well. A brand, a genre, a style, a type of people, a campaign, a philosophy. And what happens is then we just, we start to become that and we start to look like everybody else. This individualism just becomes this kind of malaise of a bunch of people that have the same haircut and wear the same shoes and you know what I'm talking about? The same hobbies, the same purchasing power, we are shaped in the same type of people. Jesus comes to offer us a different way to build. And he says, hey, you know, when Jesus speaks in the you form, like you, he's speaking to y'all. <laughs> when we read Jesus in the scriptures and we read you, we think me, the individual, what I decide, what I choose. When Jesus is speaking to an audience of people, he's speaking to you, the community, the new people of God the new humanity, you. The problem is not outside of us, it's inside of us. We need someone to shape in us, to lead us into a new type of humanity. Alan Noble puts it this way. He says, for all of us, the responsibility of self-belonging, whether consciously accepted or unconsciously absorbed from culture, are experienced as perpetual inadequacy. Your life is never justified. You are always in the process of validating your existence. Think about all the things you post and all the ways you check to see how many people liked it. Your identity is never secure. You are always in the process of discovering and proclaiming and defining who you are. Meaning is never given. It's always being reinterpreted or reasserted. Values are never certain. They're always renegotiated. And belonging is never attained. It is always dislocated. Meaning your belonging, your, your social network happens online. It's dislocated, it's disembodied. It's something that you share with someone based on what you think about a sports team or a religion or a political party. So we're starting this new series entitled Reconstructing Faith. And we need to know from what reference point we are reconstructing our faith. And if it's an, as an individualist, well, what effect does it have? And is there an alternative that Jesus invites us into to learn from, to learn from him and from the apostles of how to build differently with a different outcome? A basic framework for this journey, and I'm just laying a framework. Again, we're going to get into a lot of this stuff in the coming weeks. But I want to give you kind of a three-step process of what this, where reconstruction even falls in, okay? So a basic uh, framework is this. The first step would be construction. So you got to build something first, right? Um, this is essentially where you, you learn 
from an early age, from, our, from a childhood, we learn how life is. This is how things are. This is how relationships work. This is how money works. This is how church works. This is how God works. This is how things work. It's a worldview, a narrative, a story that we develop about how everything is. And we identify ourselves based on how things are. We construct what amounts to kind of a mental storyboard. This imagine, we're all imaginative creatures. You go, I don't have a creative bone in my body. You are an imaginative creature. You are living in a story that you have told yourself. You, your imagination has developed a plot line of who, where you come from, who you are, and where you're going. And in this way, this construction, uh, we develop this, this kind of mental storyboard, and it's, it's based on influences from our early childhood, our friends, our authority figures, institutions we identify with, like church or school or cultures that we're born into, myths that we have learned that help shape our lives, that help us understand things like justice or morality or goodness. It's very simple often. It's binary. This or that. If you ask my kids nuanced questions, they get totally stuck. I get stuck sometimes. But it's good or bad, right or wrong. It's a simple construction. And we do this in the spiritual world too, right? Depending on when you started to follow Jesus, when you were reborn, what family you were born into. Maybe you were raised in a church. Maybe you were never raised in a church and you became a follower of Jesus as an adult. You kind of have this same process of constructing what, how it is. Are you with me right there? You construct, okay, this is good, this is bad. This is just how it is. This is what leadership is in my life and this is, this is what the roles are in the church and, and this is how worship works and, and this, is, this is how benevolence works and service and justice where you get an idea. This is how it is. It's simple. Then comes deconstruction. And I just want to say this before any of us get a little too on our high horse and look down our noses at all those millennials that are deconstructing everything. <laughs> deconstruction happens for everybody. It happens for teenagers and it happens for people in their retired life, believe me. They retire, later on in life, they seriously start to deconstruct the meaning of the story that they've lived in. It happens for everybody. It's a normal part of our humanity. It's a normal part of the spiritual journey. Let's just all lower our guards a little bit, okay? But deconstruction is when you ask, why? Why is it this way? And kind of to the point, is it right? Like, is the way that we, that things are, is it right? And we stop and we ask ourselves why we believe, why what we, we believe, why we align ourselves with the institutions we do, why we submit to the rules and to the authorities or the religiosity, as Matis Yahu would say, why do we submit to these power structures the way that we do? And we have to discover the answer through dismantling the storyboard that we've constructed so far. And we look back and we figure it out. And often this place is called a place in the spiritual journey. We mislabel it as doubt. But it's questioning. And it's good. And we all do it. And it's normal. But we're asking, why is it this way? Why do I spend my time the way others tell me I should spend my time? 
Why do I have to go to school and get a good job the way that I was told I have to go to school and get a good job? Why do I need to know, go to church to know God? Why is justice defined the way that it is right now? Why do I see injustice? Why does inequality exist in the church? Why do I have some and others have none? Why do I have less and others have more? Why is it this way and is it right? This is a very disorienting and very vulnerable place to be. But we all go through it. In the church, we ask the same questions. Why is leadership the way it is? And is it right? Why are the roles oriented and defined the way they are? And is it right? Why is worship the way it is? Of course it's right. It's always right. <laughs> no, why is it right? An individualist view takes this one. It becomes a them versus me. What I think on the inside, what aligns with me and my will and my intellect and my understory and my story and my authentic me and my feelings versus everyone outside of me. It's them versus me. It's the, the church versus my story. It's the whatever institution versus my beliefs. And it quickly sets up a victim mentality in an individualist framework that blames our inner dispositions on outside forces. A communal view is different. It takes this look, and you can look here at this slide. It puts the framework in this way. It's an us in the light of Jesus. It's us. It's a we instead of me. Starting with my personal responsibility to others. Are you with me right there? Not others' personal responsibility to me. My responsibility of belonging to others is the starting point. It takes responsibility for the personal contribution in whatever un-Jesus-like thing you see. This is where we ask now in Reconstruction, how should it be? How should it be? How can it be? We start to reimagine. And this becomes a really important step because how we apply the next steps determine everything. Do we come at it from an individualist way and say, it should be how I think it should be, or do we reconstruct in a different way? This is where we build the way forward of a new way of imagining things, a new story to live under, who we will be, where we come from, what we are. Now, everyone deconstructs and everyone reconstructs. But most don't do it well. There is a deconstruction that's happening today where people are taking the lens of an individualist worldview with all of its philosophies and theories that come from an enlightenment thinker somewhere three or 400 years ago. And it's not to say that truth doesn't exist post-Jesus, because it does. But we vet truth through the lens of Jesus, not the other way around. That, am I making sense? 
but, but this is, there's this deconstruction right now that's, that's looking to Jesus, looking to the scriptures, looking to the church through the lens of the world and trying to deconstruct and reconstruct. And what Jesus does is he does the exact opposite in the gospels. He looks at the world and he does some really good deconstruction. He looks at the church and he does some really good deconstruction. And he looks at powers and institutions and he does some really good in deconstruction and reconstruction, but he does it all from the framework and the lens of the scriptures and the kingdom. And that's the difference. And the kingdom is not a kingdom of me. It's a kingdom of we. Okay, so hopefully you're not too lost in the sauce. The sauce is getting thick, right? <laughs> but not everybody does this reconstruction in this way. When we do deconstruction and reconstruction the way, in the way of Jesus, it becomes a much more gracious, patient, loving, not a blaming and calling out experience, it becomes an experience that leads to life. It doesn't lead to more destruction, which that's the proof in the pudding right there, guys. If you want to look at how's, what's really working, are things getting less destructive societally or less? And then you figure out, is there a different option? Do I have to go with this side politically or this side politically? Do I have to go with this philosophy or that? Is it tradition, you know, theory? Is it critical theory? Is it Republican? Is it Dem what do I, How about an altogether different way to do things? How about the kingdom of God? How about a third path, a third way? That Jesus says only a few people find. It's narrow. It's not the broad one. It's not what everybody else is doing. I can tell you that. It's a narrow path. Will we find it? Will we search for it? It's one that prays, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is not your church. This is our church. I'm not your preacher. I belong to all of you, and you belong to me. This is not your style of worship or my style of worship or whatever this is worshiping God together, collectively. It's not lead me not into temptation. It's lead us not into temptation. Okay, I'm going to try to make a little bit more sense of this and bring it home. We live in a culture of rapid deconstruction unlike any other time in history because we are more individualist than we've ever been before. And as a result of that posture towards life that is autonomous and self-sufficient and self-determining and self-legislating, we have become overrun with chaos and anxiety that is just a reflection of the interior of who we are. We need a reshaping of our humanity that Jesus comes to invite us into a new way to construct, deconstruct, and reconstruct our life if we will obey his teachings. If we will practice his teachings. But we have to first admit we have all blown it trying to do it on our own. Like we, we just don't do this independence thing very well. We're, we're really not very good at this individualism thing. 
like things are just, this self-governing thing is just getting weirder. There's only more interior trouble because of it in our souls, in our minds. We are the most advanced, technologically wealthy, and safe humanity that has ever existed. And yet we're sabotaging ourselves constantly. Like we blow it romantically all the time. The most beautiful people in the world still cheat on each other. Still get divorced. They've got everything at their fingertips. They're still blowing it. We blow it in our finances. We blow it in our enacting of justice. We blow it in our health mentally and physically. We blow it in our relationships all the time. We need somebody to teach us. But this is why most people don't ever reconstruct their faith. They often get to this place of deconstruction in this way, and then they just, they go, they fall away. They don't really lean in to find the narrow path, to find the third way, to find the way of Jesus, and to work it out, not as an individual, but in community. So we default, we default to what's popular in those spaces, what sounds good to our individual desires, whether it's a different flavor of church or no church altogether. And you and I have seen plenty of people leave our community because of this, in this dangerous space. And we, I just, I look at this, this community and I go, man, it's such a beautiful reflection of the image of God. It's a, it's a testament to the world around us that we can do things differently. We have a different option, which is the kingdom. And I, I go, this is, uh, this is a safe place to question. This is a safe place to go, I don't know why it is the way it is. Is it right? If we're willing to do it together. And it's a safe place to rebuild, to reconstruct how it can be if we're willing to do it together. And that takes bearing with one another in love, complete humility, submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ, who didn't come as an individualist, but submitted himself to the needs of belonging to others. But he says, if we will reconstruct our lives by practicing his teachings, we will have a path that will help us avoid false paths. It will help us avoid false prophets. It will help us avoid false practices. So that on that day when we say, Lord, Lord, he looks at our lives and he goes, you have built your life. In this new humanity, you have built your life on my teachings. I know you. I know you. You're like me. We did life the same way but you have to come clean. You don't have what it takes to do this on your own. We are not self-sufficient individualists. We are not autonomous. We are not these brains on sticks. You and I belong to a creator. We were created for a certain, a particular type of humanity that belongs to others. You were created to live in the way that Jesus, the author of your humanity, lived. He authored it, he perfected it, and he saved it. He redeemed it. 
and he invites you in. So as we start this series on reconstruction, I think we have to ask ourselves, who are we? Who am I? What is the foundation of my faith even really built on? To what lens do I actually view things through? Is it my way or is it actually the way of Jesus? As we prepare for communion, let's listen to these words of Jesus once more to this invitation to no longer go it alone. Whether you are in the midst of deconstructing your faith or attempting to reconstruct your faith, whether you are single or married, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, whether you are young or old or somewhere in that sweet middle spot like me, listen to these scriptures, these, these words of Jesus as an invitation. As he intends to narrow us to broaden our view and our experience of life. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Let's pray.